0: Turn your Bibles this morning to Psalm 42, and we will be reading again as we did last week Psalms 42 and 43. Beginning in verse 1 of Psalm 42. God's word says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taught me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and an unjust man, deliver me. my God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Amen. Let's pray for God's blessing upon his word. Our God, we thank you that We can come here this morning and hear your word being read to us and being taught to us. You tell us that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our paths. And so we pray that during this time now that you would guide us into your truth. We pray that your Holy Spirit would do his work for he was sent to guide us into all the truth that we might know you. That we might know Jesus Christ and know his salvation. And that we might know how to walk in the spirit. How to walk in a life that is pleasing to you. And may you use your word this morning to accomplish this. And We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. A Christian and his friend were traveling on the path. And the path became difficult. Uh, It was a hard uh, road that they were on. And as they were walking, they uh, were on the path with stone walls by it and saw that uh, at the stone wall, there were some steps where they could climb over the wall and go on another path. And so they looked over the wall and they saw that it was a meadow, a meadow with with a much easier path to walk on. So Christian and his friend decided to walk on that path, but soon after that, it started to become dark. And then as they were walking on the path, the waters started rushing and flooding their path, and they were getting bogged down. But finally, they were able to get free from the waters and the flood. And it was dark now, so they fell asleep. And when they woke up the next morning, they realized that they were in the territory of a giant. The giant's name was Giant Despair. And Giant Despair found him there in their territory and captured them and took them to Doubting Castle. Locked them up in a filthy, stinky dungeon where there was no light. No food, no drink for day after day after day. And giant despair would come every day and beat them up in their cell and then leave them there. He would even tempt them and whisper to them that they ought to just end their lives themselves because their life from now on was just going to be full of bitterness. And he showed them all the bodies, the Uh, the skeletons of all the people that he had already destroyed. But Christian and his friend uh, did not end their lives. They decided not to give up. They sat there, locked in the dungeon. We'll get to what happens next. You probably know this story comes from John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. But it's a great picture of what many people experience. Being in Doubting Castle, being locked up in a dungeon, feeling despair. And feeling as if life keeps beating you up. This giant of despair that you just can't get rid of. Well, you may have experienced that. You may be going through that right now. This person who wrote Psalm 42 and 43, a son of Korah, he's writing this psalm because he is in Doubting castle he 's locked up in the dungeon he 's getting beaten up by giant despair, and we see that in this psalm we saw much of that despair that he talked about in last week as we looked at most of psalm forty two and this week we want to continue and focus more on how he gets out of that dungeon. so we saw in the first four verses of psalm forty two that he was thirsting for God, he was longing for the presence of God, and we talked about how that was similar for us as Christians and how we ought to long to be in the worship of God. But something had happened where he was away from the presence of God and so he is cast down in his soul. He is very discouraged, and you could even say he is in depression. And then we saw that sorrow that he was experiencing more in verses 5 through 7 of Psalm 42, the breakers and the waves that were pummeling him like giant despair was pummeling Christian and his friend. He is being overwhelmed by sorrow. Well, now we're going to continue finishing up Psalm 42. We're going to see there the opposition, the great opposition that this son of Korah was facing. Uh, And then we're going to go into Psalm 43 and see the great request that he makes and we will end on the great hope, which we talked a little bit last week, but we want to focus more on that and dig deeper into how that applies to us, uh, the great hope that we can have to get out of the doubting castle. Well, let's start with the great opposition that he faces in Psalm 42 verses 8 to 11. So he is away from the presence of God. That is what is discouraging him. But he's away from the presence of God because there is a human cause. There's somebody behind it. There are some enemies that probably they have captured him uh, because they are continually taunting him. And so, so they must be with him. They must be around him. And so this is what's causing his discouragement. Let's read about this again in verses 8 to 10. God. Now you see here that he has a glimmer of faith from verse 8 that he believes in God's steadfast love. He is able at night to, to sing. He is able uh, to pray to God. He is still coming to God because he does have faith that God can do something about this. But he also feels forgotten by God. That's so why he says that in verse 9. Why have you forgotten me? God, it seems as if you are busy. You're too busy taking care of other people. But you have forgotten me. And the reason I feel that you've forgotten me is because of the oppression of the enemy. Now, what is the enemy doing? He is taunting He is not physically hurting the psalmist. He is verbally hurting him. He is taunting him, insulting him with his words. It's so bad that he says in verse 10, it's like a deadly wound in my bones. That word deadly wound is literally just the word for murder. It's like murder in my bones. That's what he's saying. My bones are being murdered while the enemy taunts me. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can murder my bones. That's what he's saying. Words can hurt you. Words can hurt you deeply. Words can make you feel like you want to die. Sometimes words might hurt more than physically being hurt. Proverbs 18, verse 21 talks about this. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. The tongue can bring about death. It can lead to circumstances that can even lead to someone's death. Probably, he's possibly in some ways, it's because you can discourage someone so much. That they won't even feel like living. James 3 also talks about this. When it talks about the tongue being a restless evil. And that the, it can set on fire the, the powers of hell. With the tongue you can start a forest fire. James is, is using this metaphor. With the tongue you can cause great destruction. You can cause great harm. And so this is just a reminder to us that we should be careful with our words. We need to be careful that the words that we speak do not tear others down. But the New Testament calls us to have our words always be building up those who hear. To be full of grace. Maybe you have experienced verbal murder. Murder. Maybe you've experienced the power of negative words. Maybe it's someone who has insulted you or belittled you or was angry and yelling at you in anger. Someone who gossiped about you or lied about you or lied to you. You know how painful Words can be. You know death and life are in the power of the tongue. You've probably felt sometimes that you would rather get a bullet wound in your body. Because then that could heal quicker than the verbal murder that you have experienced. Well, that's the great opposition that this writer of the psalm is experiencing him, uh, experiencing. And so he moves from this to a great request of God. And we see this as we begin Psalm 43. It's in the verses 1 to 4 where he makes his big request, but we'll, we'll start with the first part, in verses 1 and 2. In verse 1 he says, Vindicate me, O God. And defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? If you look at verse 2 there, we'll start with that one. You compare it to verse 9 of Psalm 42. In verse 9, he calls God his rock. In verse 2, he calls God his refuge. Go at the end of verse 9, he says he goes about mourning because of the oppression of his enemy. At the end of verse 2, he says, I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy. So they're almost exactly the same, but there's one big difference. In verse 9, remember, we just talked about how he says, Why have you forgotten me? In verse 2... He asks the question, why have you rejected me? Why have you rejected me? It's worse to be rejected than to be forgotten. Rejected means I have intentionally, I am not going to pay attention to you. I am not going to spend time with you. I am not going to help you. I, it's not that I forgot to help you, but I'm not going to. I've already made that Decision, And what's the difference here? Why has he now changed to say, why have you rejected me? Well, maybe the answer is time. Maybe it's the longer that you are locked up in the dungeon and the longer that despair keeps beating you up and beating you up and beating you up and the longer you keep asking God for help and it seems like God is not answering you, You might come to the conclusion, well, maybe God has just rejected me. So the beatings continue. And so he makes this request that he would be vindicated in verse 1. Now, the word vindicate there is the word for judge. Judge. Uh, I was pretty impressed by the, the hymnal version of, of uh, Psalm 43 that we just sang. It said, judge me. You, know, you probably thought, like, what in the world? Who, who's going to sing a song? He said, judge me, God. But the point of judge me is that he's being attacked by an enemy and he wants to go to court. He wants to go to court and he wants God, the judge, to make a decision. Judge me, God. Because I know that I'm right. I know that this man is being deceitful and unjust. And so when you judge me, you will declare that I'm innocent and he is guilty. And so he's asking not for revenge, but he's asking that God would deal with his situation. And that's what we should do. It's very easy when you are verbally attacked to want revenge. It's very easy to want to attack back. We need to, as Peter says, entrust our souls to a faithful creator. God will vindicate. Jesus says that every idle word that people speak will be judged. You know that? God's going to judge all of our words. How much more will he judge a murderous word that our enemies taunt us with. And so he prays that God would vindicate him. That is his first request. Then he prays for God to help him. Verses 3 and 4. He says, Send out your lights and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling." Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. He calls God his exceeding joy there in verse 4. We were learning in Sunday school this morning about the kind of way that Hebrew intensifies things through repetition. Well, uh, in Hebrew here in verse 4, uh, it's not really exceeding joy. It's one word for joy and then another word for joy, which means exceeding joy. But you could say it like this, God, you are my glad joy. You are my joyful joy. You are my rejoicing joy. You are my greatest joy is what verse 4 is saying. And so we see again his longing to be with God, his his great joy, the thing that will bring him joy, More joy than anything else is in verse 4 that he would go to the altar. He could be in the presence of God. And he would go to the altar where he would sacrifice an animal and shed blood because he knew that he was a sinner and that blood must be shed for him to enter into the presence of God. And he would have great joy in looking forward to the promise of how a perfect lamb would be sacrificed once for all that would forgive him of his sins. He is longing to go to the altar of God to have this exceeding joy. But what has to happen for verse 4 to take place? How will Verse 2 of Psalm 42 take place. When he said, when shall I come and appear before God? When? When? Well, the answer is verse 3 of Psalm 43. When God sends out his light and truth, then he will go to the altar of God. Then he will come and appear before God. So the answer to his problem, the solution to his problem that he is asking God to help him with comes with God intervening and sending his light and his truth. It's like he's giving us a picture here of two people, two soldiers being sent on a mission by the general. God is the general sending out two soldiers on a rescue mission. The son of Korah is locked up in a dungeon somewhere. And God, the general, is sending out two soldiers to come and rescue him and bring him, lead him back to the presence of God. Soldier number one, his name is Light. God must send his light. Why? Because, well, he's in darkness. He is in the stinking dungeon with no light. So light brings joy. Light brings cheer. Light also guides the path. Remember, Christian and his friend, they got into big trouble because it started getting dark. It was getting dark, and so they began to lose their way. Maybe you've experienced that yourself. You need light to stay on the right road. Then the second one is truth. Truth needs to be sent out because it's not enough to have light to stay on the road. What if you're on the wrong road? What if you're walking along a well-lit path on the path to nowhere? On the path to destruction? You need truth. You need this soldier named Truth to come and rescue you, to tell you, here is the right path, and then the other soldier, light, he will illuminate your path so that you can go on it. Well, God promises to give light to those who ask him. It's the work of the Holy Spirit, he says, in Second Corinthians chapter 4, that God shines light the light in our hearts, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. If you are not a follower of Christ, if you don't uh, believe in him and you're not repenting of your sins, you are living in darkness. And what you need is that the Holy Spirit to illuminate your heart so that you can see The glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Uh, You might have known about Christ. You have heard things about him. You know the Bible. Maybe you come to church. But you don't see really what's the big deal. You don't see why you should totally give up all your life to do whatever he calls you to do. As Jesus says, to take up your cross and deny yourself. Because that's what it means to be a Christian. You think, well, it seems like it makes sense, it's kind of true, I get it, but I just don't see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Well, it's because every person to be saved needs the Holy Spirit to open their eyes, to give them light. And so we pray, send out the light. And if that's you, that's what you should pray. You know, I kind of, I want to believe it seems like the right thing, but I just don't really get it. Things you should pray, God, send me your light. Open my eyes. Maybe you're a Christian, but you are in the dungeon. You're discouraged. You can also pray, God, send out your light. I need you. To bring me joy. I can't manufacture this on my own. Please give me joy in you. Send out your light to shine in my heart. God also sends his truth. Jesus says in John 16 verse 13. When the spirit of truth comes. He will guide you into all truth. The spirit tells us what the truth is, and convinces us that Christ is really the only way. The Spirit convinces us that the Bible is true, and it's the Word of God. And God is sending out the truth. You know, it's easy to look around at the world and be discouraged, but we forget how much truth is being sent out. There are people all across the world preaching the true gospel. There are people in nations and in tribes that have never heard the gospel before, but now they are hearing the gospel. The word of God is being translated into more and more and more languages than ever has happened in history. God is sending out his truth. God is sending out his truth in Albany, as people preach the gospel, as there are believers here in this area. We do not need to just focus on all the negative, but we need to pray that God would continue to send out the truth of the gospel. And when we are discouraged, when we are in the castle locked up, we need the truth of God. And that brings us to the final point that we want to focus on, uh, which is the great hope. Remember that he talks to himself here in this song. And that's the truth that we need to remind ourselves of. That's the truth that we need God to send to us in times of discouragement. So let's look again more deeply at verse 5, Psalm 43, as this is the verse, this is the third time this verse has shown up, or these words, and um, it's the conclusion, it's the main point of this whole psalm. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. As we look at this verse more, we notice the question, why? It tells us that there's something wrong here. It tells us that this shouldn't be the norm for this person. He doesn't want this to be normal. He wants something to change. So maybe you can think of you getting in your car. And you get in your car and you put the key in and you turn the key and nothing happens. Well, you try it a couple more times, you turn the key, and nothing happens. What do you say? You say, why is my car not starting? Why aren't you starting? You even talk to your car, don't you? Why aren't you starting? Turn on, right? The question why is because I have put the key in the car hundreds of times before, and every time that I turn that key, it turns on. That's normal. That's normal. Why is it not happening now? And that should be the situation for the Christian. The situation for the Christian is that we have reasons to be encouraged. We have reasons to have joy. We should not constantly walk around depressed and discouraged. Discouragement should be something where we say, Why is this happening to me? Why am I cast down when God has blessed me so much? Why am I cast down when so many things have gone so well in my life that I don't deserve? We need to remember, first of all, that Christians have every reason to be encouraged and not discouraged. And we know that life is not going to be easy, Uh There will be some times when you are in the big storm, like in this case, the breakers and waves will pummel you. There will be some times where the sea is choppy. And there will be some times when the sea is a little bit less choppy. But your life as a Christian is not going to be just smooth sailing, always easy. You will have choppy waters. But even in those choppy waters, we should generally be Encouraged. There are really difficult times in our lives where we say, Why are you cast down on my soul? But we need to remember to be encouraged by all the ways that God blesses us. We can learn what Paul learned when he said, I have learned the secret of being content. Paul was a sinner. Paul had a sinful nature like ours. He figured out the secret of being content. We should figure that out ourselves and learn how to be content whether things are good or bad. We have reason to be encouraged. Now notice, now as, he, as we look at this verse, notice how he talks to himself. That's what we want to focus on Next, how do you fight for this joy while you talk to yourself? Uh, Maybe you guys have heard this kind of image in our culture of how there are angels on your shoulder. There's a good angel on this shoulder, a bad angel on the other shoulder. And just say, well, you you do bad things because you listen to the bad angel who is whispering in, in your ear. Well, that's not a biblical idea, right? Because we all have sinful natures. We don't need angels. You just come up with evil on your own. So it's not a biblical idea, but it is an interesting image as we think of this verse. It's almost like he's got two voices in his head. One voice, we'll start with the bad voice over here. The bad voice says, They're right. You're locked up in this dungeon. You're never going to be in the presence of God. You're such a failure. And then you've got the other voice over here. Stop. Stop being cast down. Stop being in turmoil. Look, don't listen to him. You need to hope in God. You will praise him again. He is your salvation. He is your God. And so you see how there's this talking to himself. There's a story about Martin Luther. And I don't know if this is historically accurate, but... Uh, supposedly, there's a story about Martin Luther in his monastery, uh, I think before he became a, a Christian, and he's in the monastery and studying, and, and he really believed in Satan. You know, he's very beaten up by his guilt. And uh, there's a story that he's there at his desk with his well of ink, and as Satan is talking to him, he throws his ink well at Satan. He's telling Satan, get away from me. Stop talking to me. Well, again, who knows if that's really true, but it's the same idea. That we need to tell our sinful selves and to tell Satan, stop talking. You have no need to be in turmoil. What you need to do instead, soul, is hope in God. Uh, In his book, Spiritual Depression, which I really recommend, by Martin Lloyd-Jones, he talks about this, and so this is nothing special that I came up with, but he talks about this point that our main problem is that we listen to ourselves rather than talk to ourselves. He says, you wake up every morning, immediately you are bombarded with thoughts, thoughts. And instead of listening to the thoughts of yourself, you need to talk to yourself. You need to tell yourself what to think. He says the problem is that we listen to ourselves more than we talk to ourselves. We see this in the Bible. Isaiah 26, verse 3. He says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. How do you have perfect peace? Because your mind is stayed on him, on God. So what we need to do is work to stay our minds on him. We also see this in Lamentations 3. might help if you want to turn there yourself uh, to Lamentations 3, verse 19 through 22. And this is where, uh, after the temple's been destroyed, they are are lamenting, they're calling out to God. And he says in verse 19, Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. So he's experiencing bitterness, this bitter pain, suffering, the wormwood and the gall. And then he says in verse 20, My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. You see, he's listening to his soul. His soul is reminding him constantly, You're suffering. Here's this gall, that bitterness that God has given you to drink. And so his soul is cast down, like in the psalm. So what does he do? Verse 21. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So you see that, therefore, in verse 21. How does he have hope? He has hope because he calls something to mind. The truth. That the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases and his mercies never come to an end. Call these truths of God to your mind. Now, what are some of these truths? We will wrap up with this. What are some truths that we can call to our mind in times of uh, discouragement locked up in the dungeon? Maybe some of these truths, some of you have not heard. You didn't know they were in the Bible. That's the case with with me for a long time. I did not know these things were actually in the Bible. My guess is, if you've been to this church for a while, you know these truths. But maybe they haven't really sunk deep into your heart. So, a few things that have greatly encouraged me. First is that God chose me from the foundation of the world, from before the foundation of the world. Uh, in our confession at the end of chapter 3, it talks about, as the chapter is about predestination. At the end of it, it says, this doctrine of predestination is meant to bring abundant consolation to those who sincerely obey the gospel. The whole point of predestination election or predestination. It's to glorify God and to bring abundant consolation to you. And so when you are discouraged, if you are a follower of Christ, you need to call this to mind. Before the foundation of the world, God loved you. And God chose you. Not because there is anything deserving in you, but solely because of God's pure and free love. And part of the reason that God even created the world was obviously ultimately for His glory, but also so that He could show His love to His people. He desired that. He did not have to do that, but He desired to pour out his love upon his people. Another one is related to that, is the death of Christ. And So when Jesus came to die on the cross, he did not just die in general for anybody who felt like saying yes to his proposal, and he stands there, or actually kneels kneels there, as, as if he's proposing to us, and says, please, will you be my bride? And, oh, well, millions of people just reject him. No, when Christ came, he came for his bride. And he gave up his life for her. He died especially for you if you belong to Christ. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. And with his blood he bought her. For her life he died. The last one is the uh, life of Christ and what theologians call the active obedience of Christ. I had known since I was a little kid that Jesus died on the cross so that my sins could be forgiven if I had faith in Christ. And that's a great thing, to have your sins forgiven. It's an amazing thing. But at some point in my life later on, I realized that not only did Jesus die for me, but that Jesus lived a perfectly obedient, righteous life. And that that righteous life is credited to me, in my accounts, when God saves me. So, that means that when God looks at me, he doesn't see someone who's just whose sins have been wiped away and who's just kind of this blank slate. But when God looks at me or you, if you belong to Christ, he sees the perfect righteousness of Christ. He sees you in robes that are blazing white. And he loves you as much as he loves Jesus. Because when he looks at you, he sees the perfect righteousness and obedience of Jesus. And so his love for you does not ebb and flow depending on how much faith you have in him or how much you've sinned today or how much you have ignored him today. Or even if you've fallen into great sin, it does not change anything about how God looks at you. Because God sees only the righteousness of Jesus in your place. When you are discouraged, you feel like God has forgotten you, or you feel like God has rejected you, and those enemies continue to taunt you, these are the things that you need to say to yourself. No way! How could God forget me if He chose me before the foundation of the world? If He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to give up His life for me? And if He looks at me and sees His perfectly righteous Son and He loves me with all the love that He has for Christ, no way He has rejected me. And so we preach the truth to ourselves. So Christian, when he was in the dungeon with his friend, realized that he had a pocket on his shirt and that inside his pocket there was a key. And he says, what a fool I have been. This whole time I had the key to get out of the dungeon. The key is called promise. The promises of God. The truths of God, they are the key that are hidden in our hearts. We remember them, we memorize God's word, we memorize the truths of the gospel. They are the key so that when you are locked in the dungeon, this you call to mind and therefore you have hope. The promises of God. So, we say to ourselves, why are you cast down? Why are you in turmoil? Hope in God. Let's pray. Our God, we come to you, grateful that you are the God who is abounding in mercy and steadfast love. And for your great love for your people. We thank you. We praise you. And Lord, we know that we live in a broken and a fallen world full of discouragement. Full of even people who hurt us and sin against us. And full of afflictions from the outside. We pray, Lord, that you would teach us what Paul learned about how to be content, whether things are good or things are bad. May you give us your very great and precious promises. May they be hidden in our hearts. May we call them to mind and therefore have hope. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.